We are in this core values series, core values of Renaissance Church, which um, affect you individually. This is core value number five, and this is a very important one, biblical freshness. Now, whatever your views of Scripture, um, just give us a fair shot, all right, and listen to this, because this is... This is, this is important. This stuff changes lives. And I want you to see that and I want you to hear that. Let me show you the core value as it reads in our program and as it is on our website. And, and uh, we'll just go from there and we'll talk about it. We believe the Bible is authoritative and inspired. Thus, we'll be uncompromising. We will be uncompromising in our search for its applications in our lives today. That's what we do here every Sunday. Just if, in case this is your first Sunday, and there's always every service, literally every service, we always, almost 99% of the time at least, uh, there's always somebody here for the first time in every service, every Sunday. Um, but that's what we do, that second part, uncompromising in our search for applications. Of our, every Sunday we open the different passages of the Bible and talk about how it relates to me today and see the relevancy that is there and so forth. So that's what we do. I want to talk about the first part of this because this is really where the rubber meets the road, I think. And we need to just stop and, and, and think about it. We believe the Bible is authoritative and inspired. Right there, some of you are going to check out on me. You're going to say, well, I'm not sure what I believe about that. Well, stick with me a minute, all right? Um, couple things. Let's just look very quickly. Many of you who know me know um, I'm kind of political in terms of I, I enjoy politics. I enjoy arguing. And if you're a Republican, I'll be a Democrat. And if, if you're a Democrat, I'll be a Republican. It's just kind of fun, you know, and you learn, you learn things that way, uh, the other side. And um, but so I, I got some politicians, some presidents, some leaders, uh, founders. Watch this. Here we go. Robert E. Lee. You've heard of him, I'm sure. The funny thing about Robert E. Lee, I've been in the South, lived in the South for like uh, 10, 15 years. My wife is from uh, Alabama, Georgia area. The funny thing about the South is everybody, I'm serious, everyone you meet has some sort of distant relative connection to Robert E. Lee. (laughs) I'm serious. You know, I'm a distant cousin of Robert E. Lee. First time I heard it, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then, then, you know, I I, I was there for like 15 years. I'm like, every time, oh, you know, we're distant relatives of Robert E. Lee. I'm like, man, this was really quite a deal here. Uh, what kind of family was this? Anyway, um, Robert E. Lee, great, great American. Great American, great Union general before Virginia broke away. And uh, he said, I will go as my state goes. And, uh, of course, we know what happened. Listen to what he says. In my perplexities and distresses, the Bible has never failed to give me light and strength. Ronald Reagan Within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men face. Let's go back a few years. Thomas Paine, great thinker, great writer. The Bible is a book that has been read more and examined less than any book that ever existed. (laughs) Is that great or what? Been read more and examined less. Um, Harper Lee, great writer, and of course, uh, Kill a Mockingbird was her biggest uh, claim to fame probably. The book to read is not the one which thinks for you, but the one which makes you think. No book in the world equals the Bible for that, to make you think. I love that, love that, that thought. And of course, a great, this, this, this really, I had somebody research this for me because sometimes you see quotes and, and you find out they really weren't said by whoever it was they were attributed to. And I had, I have two or three people that, I, I, that when I have a bit of a question, I want to make sure I'm accurate, that um, they're just, you know, geniuses on the computer and search engines and so forth. And so I had them check this one out and it, it's accurate. 
Margaret Thatcher said this, Indeed, we are a nation whose ideas are founded on the Bible. She's talking about Great Britain. Interesting. Listen, the Bible, like no other literature, like no other literature, has, has a supernatural ability that, 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 coupled with the working of the Spirit of God, has the ability to change lives, like no other piece of literature anywhere. And you know I love literature. And you know I talk sometimes about life-changing books. And I, I, just think for a moment in your own life. If I were to ask you, what are, what are some of the most life-changing or the biggest life-changing books in your life? Interesting discussion, by the way. What are some of the biggest life-changing books in your life? What would they be? Some of you, many of you would say the Bible. Um, let's just set that aside for a minute. What other books? I mean, are life-changing. They're, they're inspiring. Uh, you know... I have one friend who said uh, Atlas Shrugged was the second most important book in her life. Uh, I just recently read Atlas Shrugged. Phenomenal. We're living in a 1958 novel. I mean, an Atlas Shrugged, if you don't know, it's a, the famous Ayn Rand 1958 classic novel, uh, defending capitalism. And, and 1958, the government's taking over banks, the government's taking over motor car companies, the government's taking over amazing, amazing. You say, wow, we're living a novel, folks. We're living a novel here in 2000. Anyway, I'm not, com- you know, I'm not making commentary one way or the other. It's just amazing when you, when you read that and you think, what's going on right now? But that's a phenomenal book. Well, a lot of people say, that's a life-changing book for me. I, you know, I don't know what book it would be. I got two or three. I, I think probably uh, books, when I think about books that just have had lifetime impacts on me, I would probably think, I mentioned this recently, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Great book that influenced me greatly. As a kid, I read that book. Um, Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale. Read that and I loved it. And First time I was in Manhattan and, and walked by the Marble Collegiate Church where Norman Vincent Peale was the pastor. I was like, ooh, it's holy ground, man. I wanted to bow or something, you know. So, you know, I was doing, reading this as a kid. Many of you were in science camp learning the latest theorem, and I was reading Norman Vincent Peale in the cornfield, you know. But, but Norman Vincent Peale was from Ohio, too, so that's okay. So it, it was, anyway, um, I don't know what, what, what that is for you. You know, for young, some of you, it's going to be something different. Maybe it's going to be, you know, Ulysses, or maybe it's going to be War and Peace, or maybe it's going to be something from Socrates or Plato or whatever. Here's what I want you to see. That's great. And I hope you have some books like that that you sort of cling to as an old friend, maybe. But that's not the same as a book that was, that was inspired by God. And we, can, we could argue various forms of inspiration and whether it was verbal plenary or whether it was concepts or whether it was uh, some other kind of form. But, but, but what we really, I don't think, what I would think we need to cop, stop and really think through is there's nothing quite like the Bible. Not, it, it, there's, there's great literature and then there's a, a step above that is the Bible because it was God-breathed. It was inspired by God as he inspired different writers to write that so that it would be so beneficial to us today in so many different ways. So that's the difference in inspiring books and the book that is inspired. The Bible. That's why, as our value says, we believe the Bible is authoritative and inspired. Let me show you. Now, I know some of you probably set off a few bells with some of you thinking, well, well I don't know if I'm buying all that. Well, it's okay. Hang, hang with me for a couple minutes. Let me show you in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's, 
Here's a passage that uh, this old guy, the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, before he came to Christ, um, he wrote this to a young, we believe, 27, 28, 29-year-old pastor. And as I've said many times, I used to read this just when I first became a pastor, you know, 10 years ago, when I was about that age. I just, that, that, I just read this stuff. Uh, just had a birthday, so I'm more aware of it than ever. Look what he says to, to Timothy. You must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they're true, for you, you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. We know this from other readings in the Bible that Timothy was highly influenced by his grandmother. His grandmother, I mean, and, and you know when you, when you stop and think through that, many of us can think to a, a grandmother or a grandfather or, or a father or a mother possibly or maybe even an uncle or just a good friend of the family who had tremendous influence upon us when it comes to talking about the Scripture and, and the Bible and, and, and how to live life and so forth. Um, so that's what he's saying here. Now watch what, he's, watch what he does here in verse 16. 2 Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So especially uh, right there in verse 16, you know, just it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The Bible is unique in that way, in that it is, has a supernatural ability, coupled, of course, by the Spirit of God, to change our lives when we follow it, when we listen to it. I want to talk about worldview. Um, because we need a worldview that is biblically based. Now, one of the th- let, me, let me just quick talk about this worldview thing. I'm going to bounce back and forth between that and what I said earlier. One of the things I do a lot is I use a lot of quotes, use a lot of different literature. I quote Socrates a lot. I quote uh, C.S. Lewis, great writer from Eng- England. Uh, Plato, um, Cicero, one of my favorites. Um, are they, are they like, uh, you know, when you, when you start talking about that, are they, do they have the supernatural ability to change lives? You know what, one of my purposes to show you is all truth is God's truth. And sometimes I like to show you what other people have said that is representative of the truth that God gives us in the Bible. It's still different. The concept may be very biblical, though, even though Cicero is not in the Bible. He wrote about many, many concepts that are very, very biblical. Same thing with Socrates, especially. I mean, the most, the, one of the most famous quotes of Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, David says that, God, search me and help me to know my heart. You know, so, so I mean, and, oh, and by the way, David came before Socrates, in case you need a little help with your history. Um, but, uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, the, the point is this, that all truth is God's truth. So we see that there's something different about this. So we need to have this worldview that is grounded in the Scripture. Let me give you what that. Let me just kind of give you a, a, some thoughts on that. What, is it, what does it mean to have a, a biblically-based worldview? Does that mean we had these guys in school when I, when I went to school for, uh, to study for the ministry? And it was predominantly a theological, well, it was, it was a theological institution, not predominantly. Predominantly pastors, ministers were coming out of that institution. There were a few missionaries, sometimes teachers for Christian schools and things like that, but predominantly pastors and ministers were coming out of that school. And they were kind of divided like a lot of schools are. There were the cool people and the people who weren't as cool. I, of course, was one of the cool people. And I just, you know, 
you need to know that to know the story here. Um, at least I thought I was. And, uh, um, and I went back later. I was late, when I went back to school, I was, it was late. I'd already been married, and we already had our first child. But um, we had these guys that were always spouting Bible verses. They'd bring their Greek texts. We'd, you know, we'd, we studied Greek, uh, Koine Greek, Old Testament. They'd bring their Greek text to chapel, which we would have almost every day. And uh, some, one of the professors would, would, would be pontificating on something. And they'd bring their Greek text, no English text, and follow along. And they, they didn't know what the heck was going on. And you know, they were just, it's just a show, you know. And, 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 but anyway, they'd bring their Greek text, their Nestle Greek text, and, and, and follow along. And so we sort of coined a phrase for these guys. And every time they'd tell you, well, you need to do this and you don't need to do this. Because chapter such and such, verse so and so says that in the Bible. And, you know, and you, know, you take enough of this after, you know, three or four years of this, you're like, ah, oh, you know what? So we called him Billy Bibles. Uh, he's a Billy Bible. You know, just something we kind of term, we, a derogatory term, very judgmental, of course. I mean, you know, we're in a theological institution. That's what you do. You judge people, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and <laughs> so is that what I'm talking about when I'm talking about having a biblical worldview? No, not at all. Not at all. That's not what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about. And I wrote it down for you here. Biblical worldview means that our faith, our treatment of others, how we live, how we love, how we lose, how we win, has its roots in scriptural principles. That's what it means to have a biblical worldview. Our faith, treatment of others, how we live, how we love, how we lose, how we win has its roots in scriptural principles. By the way, the opposite of that, what's the opposite of that? If you don't have that worldview, the opposite of that is have a worldview that is based on the culture, which is changing constantly, or it's to have a worldview that is based on just expedience, whatever's, whatever's best at the time, or maybe it's just to have a worldview based on, well, this is what I think. Oh, that's real good, you know? This is what I think. Well, I mean, and certainly you're going to have an opinion and I'm going to have an opinion, but I need something more than just what I think. Because I've lived just long enough to know sometimes I, what I think is wrong. And every now and then, this is going to come as a shock to you, but hang on to your seats. Every now and then what I think is just purely unadulterated, selfish, self-centered crap. You know, every now and then. Actually, it's more than every now and then, isn't it? So that's, that's, that's having the opposite of, of a worldview. I mean, last night, a real quick story. Last night, um, they don't, they've never done this before. I go to this thing, several of us actually go to this thing um, in the city called Socrates in the City. Uh, Eric Metaxas, if you know Eric, he speaks here from time to time. It's called Lectures in the, in the Examined Life. Of course, bouncing off the phrase, uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. And they have different thinkers and different people that are in. And sometimes they're people who are uh, followers of Christ. And some, last time they had the head rabbi, the quote-unquote head rabbi of, of the United Kingdom to speak. So they have different, and different scientists, some who would believe in intelligent design, some who would believe in, in an evolutionary form of creation. They have different kinds of, of, of speakers. And last night I was particularly interested to go, and they don't usually do it on Saturday night. I wouldn't normally go into the city like that on a late, you know, it was kind of late on Saturday night, but I did, because they had Governor Mike Huckabee, the Republican candidate. And I just thought, I didn't support him, and I didn't vote for him, and I didn't really, I wasn't really that, to be perfectly blunt, I really wasn't that interested at the time, uh, in his particular candidacy last fall. And I'm not sure why, I just didn't. And, uh, I mean, I didn't really listen to him. I didn't listen to him and say, well, I don't agree with him. I just, just, I just didn't, I just didn't. And um, I didn't realize, by the way, that he had actually finished second to McCain in the Republican uh, primary stuff uh, overall, which I didn't realize. Anyway, 
I got to tell you, um, I went not really expecting too much, and I was dazzled. It's hard to dazzle me. I mean, I was inspired, and I was like, and he wasn't political. He didn't try to do the, some right-wing line or something. He was, his, his, his whole thing was on faith and politics. He didn't trade. One of the things I liked, he didn't trash Obama. He didn't try to say, oh, Obama's just the worst thing since whatever, you know, and he didn't try to, you know, he, he was critical of both W and a little critical of Obama, but he was very, very um, measured in that. But he said, this, he said this one thing that, that I thought was worth repeating to you, and that is, he was talking about, because he had been a, a Baptist minister, which maybe that was one of the reasons I didn't want to vote for him, but, but um, <laughs> he, 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 I'm sorry if you're a Baptist, uh, but, but he had been a Baptist minister for a number of years. It's, it, it was like 20 years ago. Um, very successful church uh, in Texarkana, Arkansas. Never been there, but, uh, you know, anyway. We could go on with Arkansas jokes, but we won't do that. Um, um, and he, he said, so he's at New, New Hampshire primary last, last year, or I guess now almost a year and a half ago. And he said uh, all the media wanted to talk to him about was his, his experience as a, as a pastor. And finally, he said, I finally said, look, guys, one day, I'm a person of faith. Now, I happen to be a pastor for a number of years. That was 20 years ago. But I'm a person of faith. I have values that are grounded in the Scripture. And yes, I will govern from as I see my values. He said, now... The difference between me and a lot of other Republicans and Democrats, this is what he was telling us last night, is he said, you know what you're, you're going to know what you're going to get because I'm not going to govern out of what the latest poll says. I'm going to govern from my values. And by the way, he wasn't, he wasn't throwing the Democrats under the bus. He says, there's just as many on both sides of the aisle doing that. And I thought, I thought, that's pretty good, just having values. And you know what? When a person does that, I may not necessarily agree with the values, but if I know they're gonna, that that's where they're coming from, you, 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 res- you have some degree of respect for that, assuming the values are, are worthwhile. Well, in the same regard, that's what we're talking about here. Values, biblical values, where the values that I have, the, the way that I live, the way that I treat others, the faith that I have, um, the way that I live, love, lose and win, is rooted in scriptural truth. That's a biblical worldview, and, and that's what those of us who are people of faith need to strive to have. Let me show you the same passage that I just read you in another, in another um, translation. It's called the message paraphrase, and it's in 2 Timothy chapter 3 again, verse 16. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our religion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way through the Word we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. Exposing our rebellion. That's the one that's just popped out at me. Because I can be rebellious. Maybe you don't ever see that. But you know, that, that, that would be someone who can raise their fist to God. I've never done that outwardly. But I've done that a few times inwardly. Where you raise your fist to God. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. The Bible helps us see those times in our own heart, in our own life. That's why it's so important. That's why more than anything else, we need to read the Bible. I don't know if, 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 I don't know if you've thought about this or not. You know, the Bible really is that we haven't had it that long to, just to read when you think about history. You think about uh, 1517, beginning, most people say that was the beginning of the Reformation. Luther, Luther uh, nailed those theses on the 99, uh, or the, 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 the theses on the uh, Wittenberg door in Germany, what is now East Germany. Um, 
1031, 1517 began the, and you realize before 1517, now along about 1450-ish, excuse me, not 1450-ish, um, uh, yeah, 1450-ish, Gutenberg had the Gutenberg Press, he had like about 150, 180 copies of the Bible out, 180, okay? So before that, and then, and then Luther comes along, predominantly before really 1600, practically speaking, you're talking about a people who didn't have the Bible. Only people that could, the Catholics have changed, so I'm not going I'm I'm to pick on you. We have a lot of Catholic folks here, and you know I love you, and I'm not going to pick you on you. And I, know that, I know Catholic priests today don't believe this, but in those days, the Catholics believed, which was the main church of the time, that you, um, you, you, the Bible couldn't be read by the lay people. It could only be read by the clergy and interpreted by the clergy, which sort of put a, a monopoly on Bible interpretation, right? Only certain, because you couldn't read it for yourself. So when you think about that, 1600-ish, um, We've really only had the Bible around that we could really read readily since 1600, and really, if you get into modern, even 1700 or so. We haven't had the Bible around that long, when you really think about that. I don't think people think about that that much. I only say that because we really need to appreciate it a little more, I think. Because, I mean, can you imagine living in a culture where, you know, well, the, you know, little Johnny, you need to do this. Why? Well, because the Bible says it. Well, how do you know? Have you read the Bible? Um, no, but the priest has. <laughs> Well, what if he's lying to us? Oh, the priest would never lie to you. You know that. You know? Pastors would never lie. Um, and they would never do anything dishonest. Anyway, um, more than anything else, that's what we need to read the Bible for ourselves. Acts chapter 17, there's this passage. People of Berea, it's a little town, were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's response. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. I love that. They search the scriptures day after day to see if... I mean, I got to tell you, I, I, do, I do enjoy it when people come up to me and they'll say, hey, you know that message you did back on the 21st of June on, on, on the Bible? I started reading and I read this and you know what? I think you're wrong. I love that. I love it usually because I can prove them that I was right. Um, LAUGHTER it's like somebody told me the other day, they said, you know, I've really, got some, I've really got some theological questions. You need to bring your A game. Send me an email. I wrote me, and this is the kind of guy I am, forgive me. I sent him back. I said, I really only need my C game for you, okay? So <laughs> they, they knew, I know him well, and they knew that I was joking, okay? I see some people visiting with us here. I'm not like them. I'm a very kind, gracious individual. You need to understand that. Um, anyway, um, um, the, the point here is this, they... they they searched the scriptures daily to find out. They did not take, because the Apostle Paul, or in this case Silas, were, were, they were teaching the truth. They didn't just take it and just say, okay, just whatever he says, whatever the guy up there says. I'm, I'm, no, don't do that. That's why you have a Bible. And believe me, we can be wrong and have been and will be. That's why you have a Bible that you can read. Listen, coupled with the working of the Holy Spirit, God working in us, be careful with this, but I don't usually say things like this. But, I mean, there's almost something mystical. Almost something supernatural mystical that happens when one reads the Bible. Uh, the, the, no literature has any equal because no literature has coupled with the Spirit of God who lives in us, who gives us illumination as we read the Scriptures and the Bible. You, you know, let me tell you a story. Um, First church I pastored, there was this guy. We ended up playing a lot of golf together. He was a lot older than me. I came in mid-game, mid-game to his life, 
terms of his, 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 his faith journey. Birmingham, Alabama. Church that I pastored there. And, and, um, and I'm not going to say his name. You know, I, you know he's, in, he's, toward, he's toward the end of his life now. And, and I seriously doubt that he's ever going to be listening to the internet. But just in case, I'm going to protect him. Um, not that he would care. He had been one of the... Well, I'll tell you how... You ever see a movie, you know, this typical um, southern white guy, cop, who's a bigot, and, and, and just, you know, overuses his... We're talking 60s, 60s, okay? Overuses his power to do whatever he wants to do, and, and, and just, you know, hateful and nasty and, and sexist and... Bigoted. I mean, this guy was part of, I don't know if you ever read much in history, but 1963, 64, I think, 63, I wrote it down. Um, 1963, uh, the, uh, the riots in Birmingham, the civil rights riots, when, when a guy by the name of Bull, Con- Bull Connor turned the fire hoses and the dogs loose on the people who were demonstrating. And so just, just, just awful. So he's part of that. Uh, he was on law enforcement side, if you want to call it law enforcement. And, and uh, part of all that stuff. You know, I never, you know, you're a person of color, you were never a person. You were whatever that particular ethnic thing happened to be, the most negative. A friend of his and mine began to challenge him to start reading the Bible. This guy had a reputation. I mean, well, I mean, obviously I wasn't, around, I wasn't there in the mid-60s, but, but uh, I heard so many stories from so many different places about so you're the pastor of this guy. Wow, you should have known him back in the day. I mean, just story after story. His, his friend and my friend started challenging him to read the Bible. He started, he started on a, just a discipline of reading the Bible. Kept reading it. Somehow God, through the Bible, began working in his life and started showing up and talking to people about it, church or Bible studies. Went through the, I mean, we're talking over a period of years now. I come into I come in to, into the picture in whenever it was seventy four ish five I don't know everything's ish to me when it comes to looking in the back you know what I mean um, and uh, by the time I left and I was there with him six years by the time I left I want you to know he was one of the kindest most gentle most loving diverse diversely loving if you were a person of color he'd he'd hug you tell you loved you person you'd ever met in your life. Wept when I told him I was leaving the church. Wept. That's not about me. It was just the kind of person he was. He, uh, you know, he, he, to, to expound on that story, he, he really wanted to show me how much, how much he appreciated me, so he took me to McDonald's. That's the kind of guy he was. That's the kind of guy he was. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. That's true. Last time I played golf, I went back a few years after that. I'd been in Vail. I went to Vail, started the church there, and I was out there for three or four years, and I went back to, to Birmingham and played golf with him. And get this, this shocked me at the time. He had a woman playing golf with us. Now you say, what's the big deal about that? This is the same guy that would say to me over and over and over again, the golf course ain't no place for no woman. The golf course ain't no place for no woman. Just like that. Had a woman playing golf. I said, Lawrence, what takes this? He said, I changed. I said, God bless you. And she proceeded to beat both of us, but that's another story. But um, here's what I want you to see. That's that's an amazing story. It's a true story, by the way. It's just just an amazing story of redemption. 
of transformation that began when the guy said, just start reading the Bible. And God and the Holy Spirit just started working in this individual's life to take him from a person of hatred and, and bigotry and, and, and awfulness to a person of love and grace and kindness. You know, that's, that's what can happen here. So I have a challenge for you today. And I know none of you are in, I don't think none of you, any of you are in, in this kind of shape my, my friend was in when he first started reading the Bible, but, but I don't know what's going on inside of you. And, uh, but God does. So I've got a challenge for you. It's going to be on the blog starting at least by tomorrow, maybe later today, but at least by tomorrow. I've got a, I've got a challenge for you. Uh, and here's my challenge. Get a read through the Bible in a year. Bible. The link's going to be up on the blog. This is one right here. This is mine. Now, you don't have to get a fancy one like mine. But, um, but and, and this, is, this is simple. I mean, look, let me show you. Let me show you this real quick. I got, I got enough time. This, I picked out a day here. This is June 19th. Just happens to be a day I had it open to. Great day. Great day in history. June 19th. <laughs> it's my birthday. Okay. <laughs> um, I always call my mom and say, greatest day of your life right here today. She's, and she's gracious. Yes, it is, Rich. Yes, it is. Okay. Anyway, um, look, look at this. Now, this is pretty good font here. This is probably number 10 font. So it's, it's, it's why it's a little bigger. Look at this. This half page, full page, full page, full page, half page. Boom. That's one day. You can do that. You can do that. Most of you have graduate degrees. You can do that. You know? How hard is that? You know, and, 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 and you, you know, you, we usually have some here. We just don't have any, that many here right now because of the, we don't have space right now because of what we're doing with all the construction and so forth. But this link will get you. It's, 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 and here's my challenge to you. I, want you. I want you to try for 90 days. Just 90 days. Okay? It's going to cost you about 13-something with shipping, $15. So here's, here's my challenge. If, if in 90 days, I wrote it down so I can read it to you. You're going to see this on the blog. Here it is. Give it an honest 90-day trial. If you don't see changes in your life, at the very least, even little attitude changes, I will personally refund you the $15 you spent on it. I will. And I promise you, I won't expense it. I promise you, I will not expense it. I won't put it in my expense account. It will come out of my caddy money. That is, that's where it will come from. Money that I, that I give my caddy when I play golf. I may have to, I may have to miss a couple of rounds of golf, but I don't care. It's worth it for you to try this. I'm serious about this. This, this, this. You need this. I need this. We all need this. This is an important issue. That can, that, by, coupled with the grace and the power and the Spirit of God, this can change lives, people. It can change lives. can change homes. You know, if you really want to, you know, a real revolutionary experience, do it with your mate. Just read it out loud. Oh, my gosh. Was he talking about it there? He's, he's gone too far now. Okay. Um, <laughs> Listen, uh, 2 Timothy 3. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Only the Bible, coupled with the Spirit of God, has a supernatural ability to change your life. That's why you need to read it. That's why sometimes you need to study it. That's why you always need to seek to live by it. And may God bless you as you do. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are totally amazed 
at the ability, the unique ability you have to work in our lives and the way you do that, especially through the scriptures. It's amazing. And I pray that each one of us would, 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 would take this challenge seriously. Not just to do something, not just to say, well, I've done this, but to see what you will do in our lives through it. I pray that, Lord. In the name of our Lord, and we thank you for what you have done for us. And you're, you're, you're living, you're suffering, you're dying, you're being raised again to give us the ability to have faith in our God and in our Creator. And we thank you for that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.